Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Today, uh, called Authentic Church. Authentic Church. The world is full of imitations, isn't it? The world is full of fakes, um, and that can go across the board, really. Um, I know that I've been uh, conned uh, before by fakes. Maybe you've been conned by fake emails. We live in the day of fake emails, don't we? Where where people are sending you emails saying that you've got a long-lost relative who has passed away and left you a fortune... And all you have to do is send a thousand pounds to release the lawyer's fees, to release this million pounds to you. And, and, and of course, we all know that it's too good to be true, and it probably is. Uh, but fakes, we live in a world of fakes. I know I once bought, I think it was online, bought a Rolf Lauren t-shirt or a, a, um, a polo shirt uh, that started falling apart after the second wash. I think it's fair to say it was fake. <laughs> And I was actually even remembering um, there was a friend of mine in, in university, and obviously as university students, you're trying to cut your costs and, and budget, and you know money's not plenty. Um, and he got a great deal on a pair of Reebok trainers. Um, and it was great until the first time he wore them, and, and one of the other guys pointed out that it was Reebok. Uh, not Reebok, and uh, he was incredibly embarrassed, and, and we, we, we let him hear about that for a long time across the, in the future, Reebok. You see, it's too, uh, if it's too good to be true, the deal, then it probably is. Um, and, and Alini and I, I mean, we could tell you many stories about fakes. Uh, I know I've been taken, I've been conned uh, by fake money before, where I got some, some money change, change given to me, and it was false, and and then I passed it on to someone else who was wiser than I. And they said, you're passing me false money. And I was very embarrassed about it. So there's so many uh, fake things out. And you know, the Bible even says there would be false prophets. There will be people claiming to follow God, uh, claiming to, to be coming in God's name. But they'll not be coming. They'll, they'll be false prophets. Even in church, can you believe it? So the question is, how do we tell? I mean, on a banknote, you can, you can hold it up to the light and you can maybe see that watermark or, or all the different modern um, checks that they have nowadays. But, but how do we tell when it comes to church? How do we tell when it comes to Jesus follows? What is authentic church? What is authentic Christianity? How do we tell? And um, aren't you so glad that the Bible uh, helps us along the way? The Word of God gives us some great guidance on that, and and so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, And first of all, I want to look at a passage that you'll know so well, John 13, verses 34 through 35, and, and it says this, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And 35 says this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how we'll know authentic Christianity. Authentic church is church which has the display of love for one another. It's interesting the context of this um, verse that, that, that I've read in John 13 is, is the context of the same chapter where Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And so obviously these dusty, smelly feet of his disciples. And, and Jesus, the, the very creator 
of, of all of us and of those men too bows down with a towel and, and with the, the bowl of water and he washes their feet. What an amazing picture of, of, of sacrificial love um, that Jesus showed. But he then challenges them to a response. And, and today he challenges us to a response because he may not have physically washed our feet, but he's done so much for us. And, and when we know and when we love Jesus, he demands a response too. But listen to the response that he, he asked of them. Did he ask for worship? He didn't, no. I mean, worshiping him is a good thing. And, and loving God back when he loves us is a good thing. Of course it is. In fact, some ways that's the easiest response. An act of worship to a God that has done so much for us. But instead he says this. He says, I give you a new commandment. You see, the whole of the, uh, the Old Testament stressed the importance of loving God, worshipping God, and that's obviously important, and, and that's still the case. But that wasn't new. What was the new commandment? The new commandment was love one another. Love each other as God has loved us. You see, most churches... If we're talking about authentic church, most churches would have some form of worship to God, some form of devotion to God in, in various different unique ways depending on the church. They would let claim to love God, but the mark of an authentic church, the, the mark of authentic, Christi- authentic Christianity is love for one another. And so I want to talk a little bit about that love today. Because it's my desire that Arena Church, Mansfield and, and Ilkeston, um, would, be loving, would be a loving church. Would be marked by that mark of authenticity, as it were. And I know probably for many of you, most of you, you'd have that same desire too. That we would show this love. You see, it's important that we talk about it in a little bit more depth today because there are misconceptions about love. There are a lot of misconceptions and can I warn you today if, if you're thinking, yes, I came to church on the week that they're talking about love. It's going to be comfy. It's going to be cozy. It's going to be fantastic. It's not going to challenge me. We talk about love. Well, don't get too comfy. Can I tell you? Don't get too comfy. Because the love that I'm going to talk about today, in fact, the love that God showed is a, is a radical love. It's a, it's a, a love where we're not just sitting back and uh, we're doing something. It's not a cozy message. It's a challenging message today. Because love brings challenge. Of course there's happiness in it. Of course there's comfort in it. But there's also challenge. And if you are a Christian and know your Bible well, um, you would probably, um, if I was to do a survey of what scripture I'm, I'm going to preach on today, I think a lot of you might guess. Um, there's no more famous chapter in the whole of the Bible on love than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and so I'm going to look at that a little bit today. A, a passage that's often preached about at weddings, and, and, and that's great too, but let me tell you, it's far more than just that. And so we're going to look at that, and I believe learn from that today. Um, the context of, of this, this um, passage or this, this chapter is that it's right in the middle of, of, of some, some chapters on the spiritual gifts. 
And so spiritual gifts, if you don't know, are, are the gifts of the Spirit that, that God gives to us as, as, as followers of Jesus um, to empower us, to be able to, to help us to live for Him, to, to have our unique gifting to be able to use for building His kingdom. Um, and we believe that's a huge part of church. We couldn't build church if it wasn't for the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and yet in the middle of, and just at the end of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, the writer Paul says this. He says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. That's how he finishes chapter 12. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then we read 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to come up on the screen and we're going to read the first seven verses. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then may not come up on the screen, but first part of verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. You see, you may have heard this many times before, but can I just encourage you to just, let's not switch off. The wonderful thing about the Word of God is that it is alive, yeah? And that we can read a section of Scripture that speaks to us one way yesterday and another way today and another way tomorrow. And so I believe God's got something in this. Even if it's nothing to do with what I'm saying, even if it's just a stirring in your heart as you're sitting there uh, in that chair of yours, I believe God wants to speak to you today. And, and so just focusing in really on this, this scripture, there's so much in it, but we'll, we'll do what the best we can in, in the next 20 minutes or so. Um, really Paul is using examples that are relevant for the Corinthian church, the examples of the gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, gifts and acts of service and all of these things are, are pointless without love. But maybe we could tweak that a little bit to be a little bit more relevant for, for Irina Mansfield today. You may think of other examples, but let me throw a few out. You see, we can grow a church of 500 people here today. We can grow multiple campuses across uh, Arena Church without love. It doesn't mean anything. We can serve the community, giving meals to those without food, helping the unemployed find work. We can have a great youth ministry, bringing youths, youth and kids off the street and giving them um, the, the truth of the Word of God. And if it's just a project without love, it means nothing. You can give the largest gift you've ever given to the church and you can, you can be so generous, but if you don't have love, it doesn't benefit you. You know, we've got a great band. If 
We can have the best band, the greatest musicians, put on a great show on a Sunday morning and, and whenever else we meet. But if we don't have love, there is no point. It's just a clanging cymbal, a, a resounding gong, whatever it may be, if we don't have love. But what is love? Because it's so easy to use that term, isn't it? Dictionary definitions are great, um, but sometimes in the case of love, they're really quite lacking. If you read the dictionary definition, it says this, a strong feeling of affection. Not, not really a great definition, to be honest with you. I, I feel that it, it falls flat, and most of the time I don't question dictionaries, but the Word of God and gives such a better definition of love. In fact, it's God who is love. It's God who, who, who can only give us the best definition. And, and so that brings us to these beautiful verses from verse 4 to 7, where it talks about all these different aspects of love. And I'm going to just touch into these for a moment today. Love is patient. Your version may say it suffers long. What a place to start. Patience is not expecting people to deliver necessarily straight away or you know we're giving them time waiting for people bearing with each other in our weaknesses and faults patience if you're a parent I mean maybe you guys are more holy than me but being a parent has been the biggest test of patience for me and and I'm still learning you know, I even memorized Psalm 103, verse 8. God is gracious and compassionate, abounding in love. Rich in mercy and abounding in love. And I'm like, God, I want to be gracious and compassionate, God. We have to be patient. You see, it's so much more than a strong feeling of affection, isn't it? It's about being patient. Potty training. Oof, I could talk forever on this party if ever there's a, there's a time for patience two down one to go love is kind love is kind to everyone even the undeserving because that's what that's what Jesus modeled that's what God models even those you don't know even when there's no self-interest, you're not going to get anything back. It's still being kind. You see, the, it's the kindness of God, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. I think it's Romans 2.4. Kindness that we should show to others too. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do is to, to actually confront somebody. So let me, let me just stress, love and kindness, sometimes it's a confrontation. But in a kind way, yeah? That can be the kindest thing you ever do. You've ever had food in your teeth? Caught in your teeth? You walk the whole day since lunch, you get home and you look in the mirror and it's a big piece of whatever it is in your, in your teeth and you think, if only somebody told me. Silly example. How, good, how much better is if someone says it nicely to you and, and confronts you, what everyone else sees. That can be kindness too. Kindness. It does not envy. Jealousy is being selfish, really. It's instead of celebrating someone else's success, 
You're putting the focus back on yourself. I remember as um, in our last church up in Scotland and, and um, there's a guy in the church who was extremely wealthy and oh, an amazing house and, and you know a few times you go over and you think you know I never really I think strongly coveted after his house but there were certainly roots of it there I was like I would love this um, nice car great house great success but I realized that you know, after getting to know him a little bit better, that um, whatever other people have is often a price to pay for it. And this guy worked hours that you couldn't imagine. And, and I had to say, well, you know what? I'm not willing to make that sacrifice to have what he has. There's no jealousy in that at all. I, I'm just not willing to do it. And so everybody has things in their lives which we could probably easily look at in jealousy. But love doesn't do that, you see. Love does not envy. It's not selfish. It just rejoices in other people's success. And when we do have success, love doesn't boast. It doesn't, your version may say, it doesn't parade itself. Like the Man United fans do, you know? Parade themselves. Sorry, I had to Kev. Be humble. Like a Liverpool fan. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm controversial. They ignore that illustration. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't look to get the credit or brag about things that God has blessed us with as if we have something to prove. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. Love is humble. Considering others better than yourself. doesn't think of yourself wiser more worthy, deserving of special treatment. Humility. You with me still? I promise you it wasn't going to be an easy message. It's a challenge for me as much as it is for you. I always say this from the front. If, if I had to be perfect to stand up here, I would go and sit down right away. It's a message, it's a challenge for me, it's a challenge for all of us. We want to be authentic church. This is what the Bible says. They will know you by the love that you have for others. There's no joking around here. It's no either here or there sitting on the fence. We need to show love. It does not dishonor others. It does not behave rudely, maybe your version says. Being courteous and polite even when we maybe don't, dis- don't agree with somebody. Not making a point not to offend others. Gentleness, even when making a strong point. Even when correcting. Not behaving rudely. It's not self-seeking. It's supportive and considerate of others. It's not about me, me, me. The church is not meeting my needs. I don't agree with this decision or that decision. It's not self-seeking. But it's sometimes compromising our own preferences for the greater good. Yeah? That's what we do in family. And that's what we do in church as well. Love is not easily angered or it's not provoked depending on your version. Gives the benefit of the doubt. 
See, loving people give grace because they realize the grace that they have been given. Yeah? There's a story in the Bible about a man who was forgiven so much but yet went to the person who owed him and threw him in jail because he couldn't pay the debt that he owed. You see, love, God's love, is so much bigger than that. And that should be mirrored in us. Wow. It keeps no record of wrongs. It thinks no evil, some versions say. Love is forgiving, holding, not holding grudges, not constantly bringing up old hurts, but moving on. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but in truth. You don't enjoy any, enjoy any type of evil. We're happy when truth wins out. Sometimes I, I've been in a position where somebody's hurt me and, and something happens to them and I actually secretly rejoice in it. I'm thinking, yeah, and you got what you deserved. Yeah? Just being honest. Do I do that all the time? No. Um, God has done a great work in my life, but He's still doing it. So we don't rejoice in evil, but we rejoice with the truth. Love always protects, in other words, bears all things. It protects those who can't protect themselves. It protects people who are not in the building. It protects them when they're not there to defend themselves. It always protects. It always trusts, believes all things. Trust is the foundation. Without trust, there's not love. It believes the best in people instead of always being skeptical. Always trusts. Always hopes. Hopes for the best rather than the worst. Wishes people the best. It never writes them off. You know, we've heard that. People can never change. Oh, he's a, he's a bad apple. Nothing will ever change. No. We believe things can change through Jesus' name. Yeah? Always perseveres. Love doesn't run away when it gets hard. Love pushes through. Hear what I'm not saying. There's moments, and, and you know, we, we know it's not perfect scenarios, but there's moments when, when marriages end. We get that. Sometimes there is no way forward. I'm not saying that you never divorce. God, wouldn't, God sometimes permits that. The Bible says that. But there's a difference between running away when any adversity comes. There's a difference. Sometimes we need to push through. Yeah? Sometimes we just need to say, I'm going to persevere because that's what love does. Love perseveres. doesn't give up at the, 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 the first uh, little difficulty that comes the way, comes its way. Alini and I have had difficulties in our marriage. We know, we're not perfect. We don't give it up. We push through. That can be said for church too. Perseverance. We, love never fails. It always will remain 
until the end. Many things fail in life, but love never fails. You know, see the dictionary definition, a strong feeling of affection doesn't, doesn't do love justice. It's not a strong feeling of affection. It's something so much more. Biblical love is not a feeling or emotion. It's not like, uh, it's, it's not liking somebody. It's a decision, it's a choice to live a life of love. It's not an easy topic. It's a challenging topic. Real love is active. You guys with me still? Yeah? I wish God just gave me easy messages. It'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? You guys are great. You guys are awesome. And you are. But here's the thing. When it comes to love, love is hard. It's worth every moment. But love is hard. Can I say, if we want to be an authentic church, that... um, we need to push into this. Yeah? We need to. I believe you guys are great at this. Can I just say this? I know that this church is a loving church. You know why? Because there's people here who are faithful, that keep going despite maybe not always agreeing with everyone. We sometimes disagree in this church. That's okay. I know there's people here who persevere in their love for people. I know there's people that show grace, that put others before themselves, because I've seen it. Are we perfect? No. We can improve so much, but I know we're a loving church. You see, loving church is so much more than just a cozy group of friends around us that see eye to eye about everything. It's so much more. It's a radical, outward-looking love which steps out of our comfort zone, that goes to uncomfortable places, takes up our cross and makes sacrifices for the good of others without counting the costs. Don't get me wrong. Cozy groups of friends are great. We have some. And we love them dearly. And, and, uh, you know, I could tell you many stories about them. Those groups are great. But that's not what we call to be as church. If a cozy group of friends, if, if that cozy love was, was, was God's love, then he would have never come down from heaven, would he? He would have stayed in heaven. He would have stayed with his Father, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, just in that perfect love relationship. Here's the thing. The word that's used for God's love in this passage is the word agape, which, which, which is God's love, but we're also encouraged to show that ourselves. To show that that we would leave our position of comfort and go into the world and and get out of our comfort zone and love those that are sometimes difficult to love. Yeah? It's a selfless love that is displayed and that is authentic church. Patient, kind, proud. Not proud. It's not self-seeking. So how do we, we're drawing to a close shortly, how do we become more loving as a church? For me, for you, there's, there's a couple of things that we need to, to have in tandem. There's, 
there's, there's letting God do his part. Do you know, I've, I've touched on it already, but God's the one who empowers us to love. The, the very source of this supernatural love is God himself. It's our relationship with God that enables us to truly love people. So we, we have to rely on God. If you're going to rely on yourself, you're going to struggle. Yeah? So we rely on God. But we also do our part. You see, we can sometimes rely so much on God and then we don't actually do our part to, to get up, to listen to God and His promptings and what He's asking us to do. It's both. It's not either or. It's not God only. It's not us only. It's the two working together that will truly enable us to embrace love, to display love in a way that will revolutionize the world around us. You can't just rely on God, but you also can't just rely on yourself. You need to do your part too. I always remember my dad. Um, the very first time I saw my dad using an ATM uh, machine, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever, a machine that gave you money. And um, I was, Dad, how can I get a card? Um, you know, this was back many years ago. Um, and, you know, I remember him saying, well, this is not free money for all. This is, this is about you making deposits and then making withdrawals. And there's a part of that, too, that applies to us. You see, God's love is unconditional. We don't need to make any deposits to withdraw God's love. But there's a reality that as well, and when we're loving each other, when we're loving others, that there is a process of, of sowing and reaping. There's a, positive de- there's a process of depositing and withdrawing. And if we're totally always withdrawing on the love, instead of depositing as well, we'll be in our love overdraft. And eventually the bank manager is going to say, it's going to dry up and you're going to say, why? You didn't make a deposit. See, when we're loving others, there's a, there's a give or take, give and take. There's a deposit and there's a withdrawal. Can you expect everyone to be gracious to you when you haven't yourself been gracious to them? Can you expect people to be kind to you when you have, self haven't been kind to them? Can, in leadership, can you expect people to submit to your leadership when you yourself don't submit to the leaders that you have? Deposits and withdrawals. And, and one, other, one last thing that I want to say is that you need to be the initiator sometimes as well. Yeah? Because if you're waiting all the time for other people to initiate, you might wait a little while. Can I even say I'm not letting myself off the hook here? If you're, you're waiting for your pastor to initiate and and you're waiting for your pastor to do all the loving, you're going to be in trouble. Not just because it's me. I've got a lot to learn. But any pastor, you could have Billy Graham as your campus pastor. If you're waiting for him to do all the loving, you're in trouble. God bless him. I know he's not here. But um, you sometimes need to be the initiator. You know, it's 100%. It's my responsibility to love you. 100%. 
it's your responsibility to love each other. You know, as I conclude, this has a church implication, but it has an implication for you individually and personally as well. You see, if you're going to be a true, authentic ambassador for Christ, if we want to be a true, authentic church, it's not going to be by the size of our church, the slickness. It's not going to be by our administration and our organization. It's not going to be by our bank balance. It's going to be by the love we have for one another. That's the mark of authenticity. I remind you of those scriptures because the scripture, the, the, the Bible says it so much better than I can. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Yeah? Love never fails. That's love. It's not a strong affection for one another. Maybe that's part of it. But the real definition of love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know you guys all have Bibles and I encourage you to go home and read that as we seek to be authentic church. Yeah? Authentic church. Can you stand to our feet and...